Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 220. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. I'm back, and you can tell because I have access to my better hardware, I probably sound magnificent compared magnificent. to the last few episodes, Yeah, uh. where it sounded like I was talking into the metal depths of hell. <laughs> like a tin can made out of the worst tin. The worst tin. Gears inside of it. <laughs> so I should sound crisp and clear now. Yes. Excellent. So, uh, lots to discuss today. We killed our forum. That's a thing that happened. Hmm. Which we've talked about before on uh, forum.losttickedgames.com. We're going to redirect that, I think, to the Discord when we're not so lazy and busy. Yes. Uh, I was going to do it, but then... Life? <laughs> yeah, something happened. Games. It was probably yes. games, wasn't it? <laughs> no. I was but, going uh, to, and then games. You know... I think the community stuff is sort of like an ever-evolving issue, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and trying to find the right place for that kind of stuff is is tricky. Um, but yeah, so we, we took that down because, you know, it was just sort of a graveyard. Everyone's moved to Discord. Yeah. Which is okay with me. I kind of like Discord. Yeah, Discord is nice. I just, you know, I think that I found that I'm not like a super chatty person all the time. You know, it's like, especially when I, I've been working really hard the past... I don't know, year or so. Year, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, have we talked about the spoons on the podcast before? You probably have. You could mention them, though. Anyways, yeah, it's like sort of like, you know, when you have a limited amount of <laughs> emotional resources, you know, and you feel drained. You know, it's kind of a lame thing to say because I know a lot of people have jobs and they're emotionally drained when they get home and then they still, you know, find trying to, time to contribute to communities and such. But, uh, you know, it's all relative. It's just... I like another analogy for that is uh, how much gas you have in the tank. And, you know, sometimes you have different kinds of gas, you know? Like, you have the energy to sit there and stare at a TV for the next hour before you pass out and go to bed, but you might not have the energy to sit down and write some code or, or chat people up or something, you know? Yeah. And it ebbs and flows. Like, sometimes I'm really chatty and I'm like, dude, just let's chat. Let's talk it up. And other times I'm like, no, shut up. I need to crawl into my hole. Leave me alone. I got work to do kind of thing. So, yeah. It's a mood mood thing to me anyway. Speaking of vegging out, <gasps> um, I've been playing a new game lately. Just Which came one? out actually by uh, Tribute Games. It's called yep. Flint Hook. Yeah, I, I picked it up. I haven't Did played it nice. yet though. No, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you think about it because I haven't, I haven't actually, you know, <laughs> you know how hard it is. You buy something and you're like, ugh, now I have to play it. <laughs> it's, interesting you know because i follow dom2d on twitter and to a lesser extent tribute games in general yep um i think that i first encountered their stuff when i played wizorb on oh, yeah. xbox live arcade which That's was a, a pretty one. great game right it was sort of this retro inspired take on um pinball right or, or yep. breakout 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 yeah it's sort of like rpg breakout uh, which, you know, it's a fantastic concept, I think. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that game. Um, so I played it there, and I think at the time I didn't really, you know, at, at the time that, that I was playing those games on Xbox, I didn't really, I wasn't as into the indie scene. You know, I didn't know, like, who was who and, and these people. And then I think separately I kind of ran across them again um, via some of their other games. Yeah. <clears throat> But uh, I think yeah, back I'm, then it was more important that the game was good and less that like, oh, it's indie and therefore I will forgive it of all of its flaws, right? Right. 
Yeah, I thought that was Wizard was genuinely good, and I really liked the the marriage of um, the breakout with the RPG mechanics and stuff. Pretty yeah, cool. yeah, it's like one of those mashups where you're like, ah, oh, that's like it just works. Know, it just works. That's fantastic. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly it went together beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so I was kind of like, you know, I, I've been following him on Twitter, and I've been anticipating the Flint Hook release because it's honestly it looks pretty cool you know, for what I've been seeing on Twitter and stuff. And so it was kind of like a day one buy. Plus, you know, I kind of feel like I want to support other indie developers. Um, so I bought that and uh, I actually really have been enjoying it. Um, it's, I think the the best way to summarize the way I feel about it is that it makes you feel like an acrobatic badass. Ooh. <laughs> and that's something I've been thinking about with games in general a lot lately is like, you know, what, kind of emotional response is this game eliciting from me right and and, you know it could be like storyline or it could be you know you just feel like you know you're just wading through a sea of bad guys like you're neo in the matrix or something you know whatever kind of feeling it gives you um that's kind of one of the most important parts i think about nailing the design um and so like flint hug is just it feels good to just travel from room to room right and and as we know developing sort of a room by room style roguelike game right like we know how tedious backtracking can feel yeah um but when you're like acrobatically swinging with your grappling hook all over the place like it just feels great yeah i like that the core mechanic is about movement which um you know sometimes movement is kind of secondary to what seems like the actual core mechanics and once sometimes what it's advertised as right like mega man is known to be a run and gun right and sometimes like the guns emphasize more than the run because some games you know the gun will feel good but like the running doesn't feel as good you know and the the running you probably actually do more than the the gunning sometimes yes yeah exactly i mean um and there's like you know quite a bit of shooting there's quite a bit of combat in flint hook as well um it's interesting because they kind of throw a lot of mechanics at you at the beginning. And I think if I had a complaint, maybe that would be it, but it was actually pretty easy to pick up. So I, I don't, I, cause I think we talked before about, you know, games of sort of awkward controls and stuff and like aiming the grappling hook can be hard to get used to at first, but it actually feels pretty solid. And, um, I think the thing that I struggle with the most is that there are a lot of options, right? You can, at any given time, you can jump, you can grappling hook, you can slow time, you can shoot your blaster. You know, like, uh, it's something that we had been kind of struggling with on our own. Like, how many inputs do you give the player and how many base things can they do yeah. at any given time? And, you know, part of our thinking was sort of retreating back towards, like, okay, you can, like, jump and, like, primary attack and, like, that's that's enough. Right. Um, you know, and it sometimes feels like you can get overwhelmed with having too many new mechanics, but um, I guess, you know, like the more you play something, the more it just kind of uh, becomes second nature, you know? Right. And so once you've kind of learned to integrate all those mechanics together, like it actually works really well. You know, they, the time slow harmonizes with the movement and the grappling hook in a really great way too. I'm curious how those go together. So the time slow, that's just a core mechanic. It's not like an item pickup or anything like that. You it's, always have it. Yeah. It's like you just have this belt and you can use it to slow time and you can improve it. So like, you know, over the course of the game, you can increase the amount that it slows. Or I think you can also alter 
like your speed relative to the time slow or something. I don't know. Hmm. I haven't gotten that far, but there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, extend and upgrade. They have this interesting perk system um, where you can basically choose what kind of perks you want before you set out on a session. Um, but yeah, the time slow is just kind of part of the core mechanics and um, it feels really good, right? Like it kind of has, again, like that almost matrixy feel where like, you know, you jump in the air, you slow time, you shoot out your grappling hook, you know, or like you slow time and you dodge enemy bullets. Um, it's really, really fun to kind of jump across the room, slow time, and you're kind of hanging there in midair. And then you're like, blast, 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 you know, shooting something in the face before it has a chance to respond to you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Man, I wish more games had um, time mechanics going on. I-, I believe the reason that they don't is, I mean, hard to develop right and then also probably hard to design around like just the difficulty of it you know it's easy to make a game where you shoot cannons or rockets and they blow stuff up and it's great you know you screen the, uh, shake the screen it feels fantastic and stuff you know but this seems like um there's nowhere near as many games that ha- tackle something as complicated as time but it always works so beautifully with games like um braid you know you, you die make a mistake you can rewind uh, a buddy of mine was showing me when i was in illinois some version of ducktales that's on i think it's on the wii or something but it was like Disney Family Pack or something. It was basically just an emulator, and it had inside of it a bunch of classic NES games, but it had in there um, like Chippendales Rescue Rangers and classics like that. Uh, DuckTales was in there, which we've talked about DuckTales Remastered before. Yep. But this version of DuckTales had an interesting feature where you could rewind a lot like Braid. So if you messed up, rather than you know having to die and, and lose a life, you could rewind back to where you were. Which is super cool. But like it doesn't, like you were saying with Flint Hook, it doesn't necessarily, or it doesn't at all actually use that as a mechanic it's really just oh you can rewind to erase mistakes but you can't like you know slow down time and you have, you control it at a different speed and you can use that to your advantage against enemies or something right yeah um i also think that the enemy design in flint hook is really great because the enemies are all simple you know like they didn't try to do too much with the enemy design but it definitely has sort of that emergent flavor to it you know where some rooms are just really really difficult because uh there are a lot of enemies you know yeah. that that are doing different things and you're having to keep track of them all at once and like bullets are flying everywhere you know it's very much the uh some of the parts um and they use the grappling hook in really interesting ways one of the things that that they do is that uh you'll have an enemy and you know it'll do whatever it's doing and then later on you'll see that same enemy but it's in a bubble and the only way that you can hurt it is if you use your grappling hook to get the bubble off first. Mm. So when they're in the bubble, they're immune to your gun, right? And the grappling hook doesn't do any damage. Uh, so they kind of force you to kind of use that grappling hook first. And it's like a different kind of a skill shot, you know? The timing is different and all that stuff. Um, and so, and then they kind of pair that in a lot of different interesting ways. Um, and then they have like a sort of like a bubble blowing enemy who then his presence in a room will put all the other enemies in bubbles. Nice. And so you have to kind of thread the needle through the room and prioritize those specific enemies first. Right. So this is a um, side-scoring platformer, for those that aren't familiar. And it's a pixely one, which, as we've talked before, is a fertile ground for indie developers. Although, as I mentioned not that long ago, I do think that it's harder and harder. Like, you've got to make a really good one these days to stand out. I think right. so too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and that's another thing where I, I you know, I, I enjoy Flint Hook because it's kind of got this, you know, 
pretty thought out space pirate theme. You know, like it doesn't really feel generic. You know, it feels like it's got, you know, this main character that has its own personality is very distinctive and et cetera, et cetera. So polished. Everything that happens has its own custom animation and sounds. And, you know, there's almost, you know, in games sometimes like um, stuff will just disappear like you shoot a projectile and it hits a wall and it's just gone, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like Flint Hook has that super polished feel where, you know, anything that happens, it doesn't just do that. You know, it's got some fluff around it and it's all so visually appealing. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I just, uh, I've been playing. I thought it was great and I really appreciate the design. Uh, I could probably yap about it for more <laughs> time, but maybe maybe we won't. Maybe people just can just play it themselves and see. How they well, like it. This is a show about yapping. Um, I've got <laughs> I've got one quick question. So side scrolling platformer and there's just like a jump button, right? Yeah. And then the it sounds like left stick or something lets you or is it right stick maybe lets you aim the grappling hook and then you hit a button to shoot it. Is it full three sixty? Yes. Okay. And then your but, gun. But what? Sorry. Go ahead. But your gun is that also three sixty? Does it go along the aiming with the grappling or is it more like? you know orthogonal no the gun and the grappling hook both have the same kind of aiming mechanism right it's just okay one is x and one is right trigger or whatever they happen to be gotcha all right that's interesting although you know i'm also playing with the gamepad i haven't played the game with the keyboard so i don't know you know maybe it feels less less good but uh the or more good or more good yeah i don't know (laughs) the um the gamepad controls though feel pretty good to me nice i kind of like that they didn't go with the dual stick I think. At least I don't think they did. I'm trying to. I'm having trouble remembering, you know, because like when you're playing the game, you know, I feel like I've got that muscle memory already. Oh, that's a good sign. Where you know, I'm trying to. I can't really think about. Okay, what are the exact buttons I press when I do these things? They just kind of. They kind of happen. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I I don't have that muscle memory yet. Like um, with Breath of the Wild, there was this um, task where you're supposed to take a torch from A to B, and normally you would just you know if I'm going to deliver something in my pouch or whatever, I would just jump in this river and swim across it. Cause who cares? Right. Yeah. But with the torch, you can't jump in the water because the fire will go out and you can't uh, run because if you run, you put your weapon away and that'll put the fire out. Right. Mm. So you got to walk around this large ass lake. And then because my muscle memory hasn't set in, I did all this walking, walkity walk, 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 walk. I get to the door. Right. I think it was what I'm supposed to do is get to this door and go inside and deliver the fire. Right. And I hit the button to open the door and it puts my fire out. <laughs> and it's like, I, I still don't have that down where I know exactly which buttons do what, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a sign, I think, of a good game where, because you, know, you remember when, when we were growing up, I don't know if kids, kids these days know about this, but like, I didn't know people's phone numbers, but my thumbs did, you know? <laughs> Your thumbs like, do. oh, my friend, I don't know. Oh, it's a 985, blah, blah, blah. And my thumb would just whoop, just work its way down the dial pad, yeah. right? And I had the same thing going on with uh, piano. Like I used to take piano lessons when I was younger and I could read music a little, but you know, something advanced, like it, it was, it was hopeless, but I could play some pretty complicated songs just because I, you know, had a piano teacher for a little while and she would help me work through them. And then the muscle memory would take over and I could play way better something I had just memorized, which wasn't really that surprisingly not that hard to do, you know? And then your muscle memory kicks in and um, like, I couldn't tell you what notes I was playing or what in the world was going on, but my hands knew how to play the song. And, you know, that's a fun 
state to be in actually when I mean, you can just yeah. sit down and you don't have to like i don't know what i'm doing but i'm having a great time like that's kind of what you want <laughs> <laughs> that's the flow right that is the flow yeah like your body's just i'm doing it i don't need you conscious brain that's right <laughs> you can do whatever take a back seat i got this that's right yeah well cool uh, i uh, i did pick it up i'll definitely be playing it i'm looking forward to it it looks awesome yeah um, i'm uh it's hard it's hard though like it oh, is... never never mind <laughs> yeah <laughs> pass pass no, no i kid uh is there difficulties or um i don't think so at least not overtly like yeah i mean maybe there's oh here's something else that i really appreciate about the roguelike design i mean i could talk about a lot of different things about this game but <laughs> one of the things that i like is that you sort of get a choice every time you're going to go to a new stage you get a choice and they kind of give you these like um i think they're called variants right and so when you're choosing it, it might be like, okay, this level is like more of a labyrinth, right? It has the labyrinth variant. And this level has, you know, uh, a danger room, right? Which right. is like probably, you know, something with spikes and buzz saws and, you know, it's very hazardous. And then there might be somewhere like, oh, this one's got a library in it or this one's got a certain type of shop, a relic shop or something. Um, and I like that a lot because it kind of gives you, you know, it kind of, it gives you that roguelike design, but it also kind of gives you um a little bit of player choice about what you want to pursue right like if you're trying to oh i'm trying to 100 percent all the relics you know i can prioritize relic shops if i find them or you know hey i I really i got all this gold in the last level and i want to spend it so i'm looking for something that's got a shop where i can dump this gold into something you know useful player choice yeah love it yeah pretty much anything you can wrap around a decision even if it's very simple like um just deciding between two things makes you feel sometimes like you have too many options even you know it's it's very freeing and that's the whole reason we're playing games right is to interact and to make decisions that hopefully uh have some meaning right like that's the difference between watching someone else play or just watching a movie or something like the gamepad in your hand you want to be able to make those decisions yeah like, imagine if in Spelunky, when you got to the levels, you know, transition screen, you know, and, and it would give you a choice of the next three levels and it'd be like, okay, do you want uh, running water jungle or do you want a jungle with a weapon shop or do you want a jungle with a, you know, uh, altar to Kali? Right. You know, like that, that's really interesting, you know? That is interesting. I like that. Yeah. I would never pick the dark levels. Yes. Whatever the option is that is not dark, pass yes. on that. Especially well, you know. in the mines of the temple. Nope. 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 And you could you could itemize that, right? Like you could have multiple like there's an item that gives you another option, or there's an item that uh, makes certain types of rooms appear more often or you know, any of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, uh again, it's like kind of like the player choice thing, right? Like it's it's very powerful. Right. So I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, speaking of games. Games. You made a game. Oh, I did. It's the greatest <laughs> game. It's perhaps on the level of Flint Hook. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's obviously a lot better. <laughs> it's called uh, Circle Shooter. And it, I think it has three, no, two colors in it. So you know that it's a uh, hardcore indie. Uh, so... I've talked about it before. I'll put a link in the show notes. There's the simple... How to make a simple HTML5 canvas game was um, an article I wrote forever ago, and it uh, had some 
onslaught graphics in it and it was really basic it was just like touch the goblin to win and there was no end state it was just like how many goblins can you collect before boredom seeps in and you want to do anything else in the world other than play this meaningless before game you smash your computer yes uh but that article has been printed out and distributed in classrooms and uh it's gone far and wide it was uh very well received so i wanted to make a follow-up something like five years later and uh, I kind of wanted it to be a little even simpler because to this day, once in a while, we will still get these comments from people that are asking questions like, um, that just signify that this stuff is over their head, at least uh, for the moment. And right. there's almost, you can almost never get too simple, right? Because when you're talking about something as complicated as a video game, like, it's, it's really complicated, you know? And some people will be like, well, this is the first computer I've ever owned. How about that for context, right? Like, whoa, okay, so take like 100 steps back from, like, you know, we, we have our faces buried in, in the screens like most of every day for decades, right? Like, we live and <laughs> yeah. breathe computers, but um, so, so we don't have as much perspective. Like, we don't know what's complicated yet until we see it from the perspective of someone who's like, look, I just started and this is all just crazily complicated. Like, like tone it down, right? So that's where this is coming from. Uh, so I posted an article on my stupid new little site called The Man Hacked It. And it's called How to Make a Simple Game with Just Your Browser and a Text Editor, which that really is the thing that still uh, I think is so exciting about HTML5 is, you know, yes, there are libraries and yes, there are incredible game engines and you can use other people's code and, you know, you can use Unity and you can write something from scratch in C++ or whatever you want to do. But... The vast majority of computers and even phones these days have a text editor and a browser, which that's, isn't that amazing that that's really all you need to make a game of the caliber of like, oh, something is so fancy as I was just, how about a real, okay, game, like thinking, yeah. game dev tycoon, right? Like all you, seriously, that game could be made with Google Chrome and Notepad++, <laughs> you know, like you could make a million selling game. I mean, it's possible. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's cool. You don't need a compiler. You don't need some complicated IDE. You don't need to pay royalties to anyone. It's all open source. It's it's a free to use. It's available to you. It's 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 freaking incredible. But you don't and, get a module system. No, no, <laughs> no. Unless you write it yourself. Although you know, you could argue that that you know, it's like a advanced feature. Yeah. 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 You really hate the man. That's that's always the first thing you're like JavaScript, huh? How do I include files? No, no, I hate it. <laughs> I don't I mean I don't blame it. it is it yeah. is like a like a surprising uh, lack, isn't it? It's like how do you not how? <laughs> well, we'll we'll revisit this conversation later in the podcast when we talk about code structure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, look at that. Look at that. A, a uh, pre it's like, pre it's segue. Like pre yeah. <laughs> You're seeding seeding that jar. What's the the term for it in movies? Oh, um, oh, if you hadn't asked me, I would have... Um, it's like a, on the tip of my tongue. It's on the tip of my tongue, too. I know podcast listeners right now are like... Foreshadowing. A, yes. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. Or, or books or anything, right? Any kind of creative <laughs> medium. It doesn't have to be TV. I'll just leave this gun in this drawer. I'm sure no one will need it. Winks at the camera. Right. <laughs> oh, foreshadowing. Okay. Uh, so anyway, yeah. How to make a simple game with just your browser and text editor. So I know a lot of our listeners are... Um, used to javascript and they've probably made some of their own games or prototypes or something but this is geared towards the absolute beginner and the game itself is um there's like 
these red circles falling down from the top of the screen and you have to you kind of shoot it with a white circle but really what this circle does that you like you tap the screen or you touch the monitor or whatever and a little circle appears and it goes like boop and it, your goal is to get it inside of the target like the red circle and if you do that your number goes up and if you don't your number goes back to zero and as the game continues the circles get smaller and i think faster and the game gets harder so my high score is only something like 50 it's, it's a pretty difficult game hmm. uh and it's hard to, you know, it's it's like a juggling game, kind of. Only it doesn't give you more things to juggle. It just makes you juggle faster. <laughs> but it's like, you know, uh, it's like actually a game, right? <laughs> exactly. Because the the how to make a simple HTML5 canvas game, that's not a game, really. There is no, no lose state. There's no pressure to play it now. And like, you could just be like, okay, I'm going to play now. I'm Now I'm not playing and there's no consequences. I'm going to come back in 30 years and the game is still like, what's up? You've, you've touched 12 goblins. You want to keep touching goblins? And you're like, not really. I got laser guns and hovercrafts now. Yeah. I was but, on Mars for my vacation. Exactly. I like, I don't, I don't need your simple... We have HTML10 super canvas games now. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, it is an actual game. I like that. It is really basic. It's something like, um, like 100 lines like it's it's really short and what i chose to do with the content of the actual article is i just went through line by line and what i like about that is you know we talked before about like you used to, you used to type code out of magazines remember that yeah and i would always learn from from q basic and that was back when you could not even obfuscate your code your code was just bare you know and you would play the game and some people like i'm sure a lot of kids would just stop there and like a cool game and that's good enough, right? But me, I was always like, oh, let's look at the code and figure it out. And a lot of the line, like, I'm following it, I'm following it, I understand. This is drawing a sprite, this is capturing user input, this is saving some data. This line, like, peek and poke and math, cosine, like, what's happening? And sometimes I just wanted, like, give me a sentence or, or maybe even a paragraph explaining what in the hell you're talking about, right? So, so like, that's comment your code, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Only, I mean, here, like, here, here's more like write a lengthy article about your code, which, you know, God, I would not want to see that in, uh, in someone's actual source code. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if I'd mind it. Really? <laughs> well, I guess it depends. Dep- so, depends how, how do you feel about code when there's like, when there's, how do you feel about more comments than actual code? Uh, I think it's fine, actually. I mean, these days, mm. I, I like to see that. Hmm. Um, just because, it is, you know, like it is hard to come back to a code, even it, the code you wrote and be like, what was I thinking here? <laughs> like, yeah. why, why did I make these decisions? And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, maybe to a point, there's no amount of too many comments, perhaps. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could probably make the argument one way or the other, but uh, I think the point I'm getting at is that I like to see a healthy amount of comments um, because it's helpful and especially if you're working with other people it's extremely helpful Hmm. and i think that for visually parsing it helps too you know at least for me and maybe this is just a subjective thing right but like i like seeing especially the way that i have my code editor set up comments are almost um like de-emphasized right oh yeah yeah they're like sort of this gray i mean they're still completely readable but when you're kind of just visually grepping the code like you can very easily see like line, line, line. And I find that it's sort of easier to kind of like see these individual lines in between, you know, big chunks of comments sometimes. Yeah, I've noticed because I, I like how comments separate chunks of code, I will sometimes put 
comments that are kind of useless where it'll be just like header and like you know if you're reading it you know it's the header because it's like var header equals new text and then it'll do some crap to the header variable and stuff like that right so like you're not dumb you know that it's a header but what i like about it is the separation you can see that this block of code until the next uh you know double line break is all about the header right and it's kind of nice yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I kind of struggle with that because one thing that I've always heard and I, and I kind of agree with, right, is that the code should talk about the how, not the what, or the why, right? The why and the, or maybe it's the why, not the how. I like, I like the why. Uh, the, the how is already in the code. And right, yeah. the reason I don't like how is because sometimes, I, I've seen this before where the, the comments are wrong because you'll update the code and forget to update the comments and it'll be like, oh, here we're going to, you know, we're going to seal these variables because we want to snap them to the top. And it's like, no, that's a floor. So the comments are aggressively bad, right? right? But the why, I use this all the time. If I have to write some weird code, uh, like, you know, let's say you repeat the same line twice, anything where a reader, a future reader, even yourself, could look at it later and be like, what is this? I'm going to delete this line. Or it just doesn't look right to me. Or you're wondering, like, why would they do it this way instead of the more obvious way, Right. Right. That's when I'll have a comment that explains uh, the why to justify my my actions, basically. <laughs> like, hey, don't make fun of me. I'm doing it this way because totally valid reasons, I swear. Right. Dear dear reader. Yeah. I'm um, very sorry for the predicament I left you in <laughs> with these variables. Please forgive me my trespasses <laughs> and I will do the same. Uh, I'm looking at my code right here. Actually, I've got a file open. Um, here's something I did in my code. How do you feel about this? This is completely a tangent. You know, we have a switch case, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say you've got two cases that you is both gonna, want. Is this going to be the commenting and intentional fall through? Yeah. I guess Question. you've seen, have you seen that? I guess you've seen that in my code before. I know other people's code actually. Oh, Nice. I, it's interesting. So I, when I first encountered it in your code, I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> is it just because Matt? But is that I've since it, changed my mind. Oh, look at that. You've come around. You've, you've, yes. you've come around to Matt. You've seen it the Matt way. <laughs> Although, yeah, I, I've also sort of like, I think I just don't like intentional fall through at all anyway. I kind of don't, don't know. either, honestly. It depends on the situation, but every time I've encountered it, uh, it it really depends. I, I think the intentional fall through works really really well when you have a scenario where it's like, you know, case one, case two, case three, case four, code break. Yeah. Right. Case six, seven, eight, nine, ten, code break. Right. Uh, it works less well when you have like. Here's a thing, three or four lines of code break. Here's another thing, three or four lines of code break. Here's another thing, three or four lines of code, no break. Oh, I hate right? that. No, and then no. another case and, and, you know, some other stuff. And, like, that that scenario is a lot harder to visually parse, I think, and understand what's happening with the code. So and that's so, too sneaky to me. I don't like sneaky code, right? Yeah, no, sneaky code like, is the worst. Yeah, like, okay, here's an example. Let's say you've got, like... um. Uh, a, a long line of code, right? And like past, like character 80 is kind of the the global convention among programmers is like, you know, don't be a big jerk and like cut it off around there. It's like a really reasonable cutoff, right? Because it's like, it has to do with terminal sizes and editor sizes and stuff like that. Like it's it's kind of a, um, 
it's almost legacy at this point. Like it, it mostly comes from the days where people were pretty much only coding in, in you know, VI or Emacs and stuff, and they literally didn't have terminals that could handle more characters than that, right? But it's still a pretty good. Like you want some cutoff. You don't want to be writing really important code and it's on you know column a thousand or something, right? Right. Well, I I'm pretty sure you know I'm gonna tiger hat here because that's what I do, but you know, newspaper column widths are like a science, right? Like, right. there's a lot of thinking and research that goes into how wide to make a column of text for like a maximum readability for right. human beings or whatever. And yeah. I think that that's true for code as well, right? Like, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know what it is, but having sort of a not huge width column of text to parse is a lot easier. And so I kind of like the 80 character wrapping, even though it is sort of legacy, for the reasons of you know display character width yeah um i think that it's still not a bad idea just because of you know how people visually read things right yeah so like a sneaky line of code to me would be stuff is happening that matters like post column 80 right like the end of the line it'll be like oh by the way also delete this variable or something and you're like wait like that's important (laughs) like don't like you're burying it right or like you know anything with a like a ternary and it's got yes. like um, like assignments happening inside of like and or like multiple ternaries on one line. I'm like, stop it! Stop. I am I am not a computer. Yeah. You you feel clever when you write that, but when you come back in a month, you will not be able to parse it with your eyeballs. Like that's a problem, right? And like when you're calling a function, you know, maybe you're calling a function that has three or four parameters, and like you're passing the result of other functions that have their own parameters into that function. You know? Yeah. Like that's the kind of scenario where I would rather just. Uh, you know, assign some variables above it and then, you know, below have that function call with the four arguments just being, you know, local variables, just it's so much more readable, right? It's like, right. okay, you're going to calculate the angle and then you're going to calculate the power and you're going to store those in variables and then you're going to call shoot the ball and here's the angle and here's the power and, you know, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, I think clever code is just a, a little bit uh, not as bad as as magic code, which would be like, you know, you have a innocent looking function right it's called like calculate click and or something you're like okay or handle click or something right but like no it does some other crap in there too it's like writing to a file right yes. like, like the magic where you're like what what is that like overloaded i guess you know where yeah. you have something like called print but it's it's not just printing it's doing other crap it's magic <laughs> like clever clever is not that bad but it, it starts to border on it right where you know you don't want like i, I don't want fancy pants code anymore i want something that's obvious you know, like one thing at a time, it's all really clear. It's a big variable names. Like I don't do stuff anymore. Like I'm not terse with like variable T equals blech. Like I'll, you know, I'll be like time or yes, tanks, <laughs> you know, tanks. clear. Like, they, like the longer I program, the more I am just like be clear, be simple, be obvious kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. This is all a big uh, advertisement for my article. That's what it is. This is, yeah, I'm saying like I, I write really good code now. So go check it out. well it's kind of fun to to come back to a thing you did before and like see how you would approach it again you know yeah that's true it's like what you know what has matt hackett learned about making a simple game in in the past five years (laughs) right that's it (laughs) that's it that's all yeah so anyway uh it's a very basic game just you know give it a shot real quick and you'll be like yeah i touched some circles and i'm good now and then uh you know the code is there if uh if you want to peruse it and then uh, that's it circle shooter i do not (laughs) unsubscribe (laughs) no i think i read it already oh great yes i do actually i was gonna say when you're talking about kind of the inline commenting style of the blog post um it reminded me of some documentation that i've seen you know 
in the last few years, right, where people will have documentation sort of in line with the code, right? Instead of having like, oh, here's like a an API doc that's just complete text that goes over all the stuff and kind of does function by function. It's actually like, here's the actual function body, all the code, and then, you know, off to the left, here's a paragraph of text explaining it. And then you scroll like down it. and like you kind of read the code in, in, you know, side by side with these comments that line up with where the functions are. Yes. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah. I, I kind of like annotations sort of, yeah. right? I like that. Yeah. And if, you know, I had spent more time on this, I like that would be ideal, I think. It's like maybe even you could hover over a line and it'll show you the sentence or the paragraph that I wrote about it or whatever. Right. Um, man, there's this amazing Brett Victor article that I'll, ple- I'll put a link to in the show notes if I can find it. Uh, but it's all about how like um, learning to program is ass, and here are some ways to include uh, to improve it. Um, man, is that guy a genius? You should really be following him. Vector, no, Brett Victor. Yeah, I'll put a link to that. I forget the name of the article even. It's really long too, and and, and like the examples are amazing because there's like this gradient. You know, it starts off. You know, here's an example of how you'd want to teach someone to code or like how, how code is being taught today. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be like, Oh, here's a better example of how you can improve that. And then here's like a dozen iterations on that, you know? And at the end there, you're like, wow, like anyone could figure out what these functions do, like how, like what these actually do in the code, even over time, like with a, with a while loop or as part of a tick or something, you know, he thinks about those things. So it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, you planted a seed earlier. There was some foreshadowing happening. Yeah. It so kind of actually gotta... goes, you know, hand in hand with a lot of this talk about maintainable code. Yeah, better code um, and stuff. But we had a question from a Lost Cast listener, a Reflections, uh, on Steam. And he's asking, how do you guys organize and structure your code? Seems like every time I do a semi-large project, reaches a point where the code is unmanageable um you know things start breaking and blah 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 so it's kind of just asking like you know how we approach just code structure in general and and how to you know create a maintainable code base and i think that you know what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago is really important right is keeping it terse and simple right and like you were saying like no magic um make sure that your functions are doing one thing yeah one thing Maybe not even that. No, not really. Um, no. Yeah, they, they should probably at least <laughs> do something. Um, and like the separation of concerns, right? And and responsibility, delegation of responsibility is, I think, how you create maintainable and, and code that doesn't break, right? Having simple contracts between pieces of your system, right? Right. Like you don't... Like whenever I have like the scenario where... I'm like, oh, okay, this function now needs to return an object with a whole bunch of properties. Like, that's when I'm like, Jeff, stop. <laughs> You're being an idiot. Yeah. Like, I, I like the, the the simple contracts works for me because it's like, you, no, one, no one wants to read legalese and you don't want that in your code either. You don't want to be like, oh, this function is require, is expecting this this object, literal, with all these complicated keys and crap on it. You know, like you, right. something simple, you know, like I give you one string and you give me back a number or something like that. Something that basic. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, you know, because of composition, right, you can turn those bits and pieces of functions into, you know, a, another function can aggregate the behavior of a few other functions, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I, I think that that's the way that you kind of keep things easy and maintainable is having a good separation of concerns as well, right? Like, don't mix, you know, like, your view and your rendering and with your game logic necessarily, right? 
Right. Like the the more tightly coupled your pieces of code are, you know, the much more easily they're going to break when you change yeah. one thing. Yeah. I'm big recently on um, not optimizing too early. And optimizing is one of these words like, you know, design. If I say designed you out of context, you're like, what are you even talking about? Like anything, right? And optimizing kind of has a little bit of that to me because I know what you, th- you think about performance. That's your baby, right? That's your, you like spending time on. Mm-hmm. But optimizing sometimes can be like, I'm going to optimize the code in that, you know, here's this um, code that's been kind of copy pasted two or three times. And maybe it's slightly different, just enough to, to justify that or something. Or maybe it's almost exactly the same, right? Right. Uh, and then like what the earlier me might have done is I might be like, oh, okay, I'm going to anticipate this before, like when I write the first code, I'm going to make a function out of it. And because I think I'm going to need to call this multiple times or something. And then if you, you don't, you end up having more code than you need. And I feel like that is also the problem of optimizing too early. So my general rule of thumb more recently is if I have to duplicate something that third time, then I will start to optimize it in that I will create a function out of it or I'll put it in a for loop or something. But as opposed to that, like I, I might have two pieces of code written that are very similar, but you know, just different enough that they do different things and they can justify not just literally copy pasting the same lines. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily go back and wrap that up if it's just those two times, because it needs to, it needs to justify that optimization to me. Right. And that's like, uh, there's some saying about optimization or not optimization about um, abstraction, having a cost, right? Like yeah. every layer of abstraction you add, it has a performance cost for sure, but it also has a mental cost and it has a design cost as well. Right. Yeah. Um, like when you abstract something away, you know, you're kind of uh, hiding the details of the implementation to an extent, right? And there often comes a time where you're like, okay, this abstraction is too simple, right? Because now right. I've encountered a scenario where I need to, you know, know more about what's going on under the hood or I need to pass it more information or, you know, whatever. It has to take account some other piece of data. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you do have to be very careful with how you abstract things. Like, and, and I think that abstraction is one of those things that programmers can find fun. You know, it's like uh, the saying about, you know, there's several different types of games, ones that are like fun for the designer to make, <laughs> one for just fun for the computer to play, and then one for the, the, com- the user uh, to play. And I think that's true is for code as well, right? Like, um there's some code where it's like, that was fun code to write. You know, you're like, I have created the ultimate abstraction of this class and it has all these properties and blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and, and sometimes like those functions and methods and the abstraction that you're creating, like they don't necessarily always start in a real world use case, right? Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I want to model this object. And so I'm going to start by modeling it with this like very generic abstraction Right. Um, before you've kind of even realized that you need that generic abstraction, perhaps. Yeah, that's the thing. If you don't need the abstraction, then it's aggressively bad, right? And I'll see this something like, uh, you know, everybody can look at a line that says, you know, name equals Matt, right? And you can comprehend it. You need to, logically, right, to be able to, to program. But then when you see something like set name, Matt, like you were saying, there is some overhead to that. There's some cost because you have to understand that function can do anything, Right, because it's a function mm-hmm. being called set name. You could look in there, and it's like kill the whole program. You're like, whoa, why is it doing that? It <laughs> right. could be happening, right? You don't know. It could fire off some asynchronous call. It could be doing all kinds of like you never, you never know, right? 
Um, but when you see, like, so there's that overhead cost, right? And when you see this, just like, you know, name equals Matt, you don't have that. You, you can see that line and you can move on. So it's not just a cost of, you know, the extra uh, computing cycles. It's also like the overhead of having to... Unless, unless it's it a head. property setter, <laughs> in which case... Oh, that's true. That's another gotcha. It whatever it wants anyway. See, like when you were talking earlier about code that's fun to write, I think clever code is very fun to write. You know, you write some clever yeah. code and you're like, oh, aren't I so clever? You know, you think you're so smart. And you don't really pay the consequences yourself always, right? You don't pay the price. You're like... Um, because you understand it. You look at this this insane line of code and you're like, I know it. No, I'm clever. I wrote that. I got it. I got this. I'm cool. Right. Then someone else reads it and they're like, what is this code? I don't understand your code. And you're like, I know. I'm just so smart. Right? But then you come back like three months later and you're like, what is this? And you, because you don't have it fresh off your mind and you're like, okay, this is just clever crap. Let's like this, tear this down and simplify it. Right? Yeah. There's like some saying and I'm, uh, I wish I could remember these things better, but it's like, <laughs> you know, if debugging code is twice as hard as writing it, you know, writing the most clever code you can means that you're completely unqualified to debug it. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. It's like debugging is always harder than writing. And so if you write it in the most arcane way possible, it's going to be twice as hard to debug. Right. Yeah. Simple. I think simple is good. So, cause like, okay, here's the problem I think, cause we get this question a, a fair amount, you know, I don't think it's always as, um, with the slant of, Hey, answer this on lost cast. Sometimes it's just like chats and discord and stuff, but the organizing thing is really common. And I think part of that reason is because, you know, people might come in with something like, as I mentioned earlier, the, how to make a simulation. Well, in fact, I have canvas game. Like <laughs> people start there. A lot of people start there and then they get quickly get to the point. Cause it's such a simple little repository. It doesn't give you like, here's a folder for entities, right? Here's a folder for potions. Cause I don't, I don't know what you're going to need. And when you get to the point where you're making a game, you're like, okay, I'm going to make a game about potions. You don't know where to store stuff. And you start to like, okay, I've got these components now and it is a game about potions and I've already added 20 potions and that's way too much to not have its own folder. And then you start to get like lost, right? You've got too much to juggle and you don't know where to put it. And you like, you're like, I need a closet, but I don't know how to build one. You know, and then you start to suffer. And like, you, like I had this going on, like my closet was really messy, right? And I didn't even like going inside of it. So I just wasn't wearing certain shoes or jackets for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And like, I didn't want to go in there. I was just like, eh, I don't know. Not I don't the go closet, in there. no. Not the closet. And then Andrea came in and she tidied it up because she likes doing that kind of stuff now. She's like, ooh, look at this. Like, I can organize this. It's a project. It's a project. Yeah, like it'll, you know. It only takes like 15 minutes or something, but she, she did a great job. Now, like I can walk in there. I'm not tripping over anything. I, I, everything is clearly in its own place and I can find my jacket and my shoes or whatever, you know? <laughs> so you've, yeah. uh, you've unearthed them. Exactly. Yeah. And the organizing part really matters. And I, I can recognize that when, you know, some people might feel lost. Like, where should I, where should I put my cheese? Right. Where does the cheese go? Yeah. And it's hard, uh, when you're programming, right? Because, Sometimes you just don't have enough experience to know what the organization should be for a piece of code, you know? Right. Um, something that we've talked about before is like, you know, the first time I write something, it sucks. And oh, yeah. I think it's pretty much true across the board, right? Uh, for a lot of people. And sometimes, like, you just shouldn't spend too much time worrying about it the first time, right? Right. Write code the first time with the expectation that you're going to refactor it. Yes. And don't be afraid to refactor it. Right. Like, it's almost an intentional part of the process, right? Where you're like, okay. And it, it sort of fits in kind of like what you're talking about optimization, right? Like one of the sayings that we like is, you know, 
make it work, make it pretty, make it fast. Yeah, I right? love that. And I think about that all the time. To me, that's like write, you know, write some gnarly code. That's fine. Like just get it working <laughs> and, and and figure out like get your head around the problem. You're like, okay, I wrote all this nasty code. And, but it does what it needs to do, right? Like it, it takes the thing from here and it puts it there and it draws the thing or whatever, right? It works, like that's great. And then the next step is like, okay, how can I make this not a disaster to read right. or, or maintain? Yeah, and so there's this um, Yagni is what it's called, but basically what it means is uh, you ain't gonna need it, Yep. right? So that's what I was saying earlier, like the, uh, you know, I won't write a function or I won't organize things into objects or I just, I won't touch any code. It'll all be just like pure functional uh, until I, I need it to be, more organized or something. You know what I mean? Like it'll, it'll just be like like inline code. Like var mad equals awesome. Var Jeff <laughs> equals sucky pants. Wow. Right? And it's all just there. I don't need a like Jeff is garbage function yet. Like if I need it, I'll make it. I'm sure right? you will. And happily, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> happily, yeah. So like, you know, don't like that's another part of cleverness is you think like, oh, I had the I had the foresight. I could see, you know, the 12 steps ahead in chess. I, I could see I was going to need that. No, no. You might not. Like, and that's the thing with game development, especially like stuff changes, you know, your requirements change from your designer or you as the creator, you have changed your mind as you were prototyping. You're like, you know, this mechanic wasn't as satisfying as I was expecting, you know, and if your code is already, you know, abstracted and super organized, like that's a harder, it's harder to break that down than it is like, just here's some inline code, just like delete it. And there you go. Nice and clean. Mm -hmm. So I'll put a link. That's actually a, on, it was a Wikipedia page just uh, dedicated to, uh, you ain't going to need it. That's a whole like design philosophy. Yeah. No, it's, it's really important because it, it's, again, it's one of those things where in programming it's fun, right? Yeah. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel clever. Makes you feel smart. And, and it sort of makes you feel like it has like that um, sort of like false sense of progress, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, like I have prepared for the future, you know, like I am good. Right. I have created this API. It's future proof. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> First of all, there's no such thing. And <laughs> right. two, you know, there's always going to be bugs and, and you're kind of better off just uh, addressing them, you know, as they come up, you know, which isn't to say that you shouldn't think about, you know, how your code is going to be used in the future and stuff like that. Right. But I, I think that it's a balance. I think it's more reactionary than it is like looking into the future, you know, like when it happens that, okay, now I have, you know, six PNG files that I need to save and i had like one before like if you have one ping just like throw it somewhere it doesn't matter right now i've got six that's when you make your folder you know and it's up to you if you know like okay i, I i've got multiple media files i've got these sound files i got these pings and like a css for style or something like that right i might go and i might make like a static folder or a media folder and and again like it doesn't really matter just whatever makes you happy and whatever is descriptive enough that someone coming into the project blind wouldn't be like why did you call this folder you know penguin land <laughs> right like like i don't see any penguins in here like no media or static or something something well understood something relatively conventional right yeah and then in there you could have like here's you know images or sprites or pings or something and css folder and that's where your css files go like sounds like we usually do this in our files we'll have like uh in our most of our projects have like media images media uh sound effects media music stuff like that and i think that that's a good um that's a good way to, to organize like your static files yeah. Um, uh, and then the code that can be uh, probably more complicated, but not necessarily, right? But what you'll find is that you like, we have this a lot. We'll have like view stuff or like uh, like the client side stuff. 
right? And like what I used to do, like with a, a wizard lizard, I had like, I would break that down into user interface and utils and monsters and characters and entities and, and objects and stuff like that, right? And that's all fine. But what I found is that like, um, like UI and utils, there was a lot of overlap there, like the wizard lizard uh, code base, because a util sometimes would basically just be a piece of interf- uh, like a user interface, right? Because like, and sometimes I didn't know where to look because I'd be like, where's the mini map? Oh, well, that's in utils because it's used in multiple places and it's kind of flexible. Like what even, I don't even know what the definition was for something not being user interface and instead being utils. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that there's a couple of things going on there. One is that UI is, is sort of a broad term. Yeah. A little too right? broad. Like almost anything in the game can be UI. It's like one, exactly. one thing that I always struggled with was like, what do you like floating combat text, right? Like the text that appears over something's head in the game world, right? That, right. that particular piece of UI lives in the game world for for the most part. Like, how do you separate that out? Like, is it UI? Yes. But is it also an entity in the game? Sometimes, you know, like, yeah, uh, there's a lot of gray areas. And, um, and then also I think utils is just a horrible thing, right? Uh, it, it's basically utils is like the program equivalent of misc, <laughs> you know, it's your junk drawer. It is exactly. And like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of having, you know, a utils. Guilty. Yeah. Hang guilty. him. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, it, there are these cases that come up where you're like, I just, I have this function that does this one small thing and it doesn't fit anywhere else. And I don't want to make it its own, like, you know, full package or anything. Like what do I do with it? You put it in the junk drawer, right? You have like the Swiss army knife. But, we should call it like shame, the Swiss <laughs> shame army knife. Shame.js. Every time you act, you have to be like, oh, shame.js. <laughs> but no, the, we usually call it utils or something. The problem with that, though, is that it just like it gets out of control, you know, like um, very recently I was working on a utils file that someone had been working with for a while and it was like, there's math, there's randomization, there's, you know, <laughs> object copying, object merging, array management. It's like all these different things, uh, you know, that are all sort of like utility-esque kind of features, but, you know, they all just kind of live clumped up together in this one file and they make no sense together. I, I've worked on so many files like that with so many different people and, you know, they, they all start with the best intentions. You'll have this file, it's called MISC or utils or tools or something and at first it starts off really nice you know you're pretty happy with it there's only like three maybe five methods you're like these are these are all these is this is where these belong this is good right and then someone else will sneak one in or maybe maybe it's even you and you put one in and you're like well uh, (laughs) it doesn't quite fit but (laughs) i mean you know i can't think of anywhere better is it perfect no and then that's like that's a slippery slope right because next you're like oh okay array stuff sure and now it's like oh you just added 10 array methods so now it's more array than utils and you're like you're like yeah but eh." (laughs) you just don't care yeah you're like well you know it's late i need to get this thing checked in and blah blah blah. yeah and then uh it's next thing you know it's a 2000 line file and you're like no then yeah then every time you open it you're like oh god i have to work in utils again no someone renamed it (laughs) shame.js damn (laughs) it was me no yes yeah um, anyway. I, I think that that's important, right? Because when you name something utils, you've almost given yourself permission to put anything you want in there. Lazy dev, you should call it. Yeah. Whereas if you are a little bit more rigid about your organization, right? Like if you say, you know, I'm going to call this file array.js. Like you're more likely to not put a non-array <laughs> function in there, right? I should test that on you. I'm going to yeah. put some like string manipulation in array.js. 
Yeah. I'll see if I can sneak it in there. I'll drive all the way to Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I hear this ominous knock on the door and I just hide. (laughs) No. I'm coming for you. Yes. Yeah. I do think that um, with when it comes to organizing, unless you've got something like Unity, which kind of pushes you in a direction, like it's kind of opinionated about how it wants you to organize, right? If that's not the case, it is kind of an art. And I think that you should just kind of feel it out. And I do think that it should be uh, reactionary, right? Like if you've got one XML file floating around, it's not the end of the world, right? And if you've got like, oh, there's I got this one bash script I wrote to help me with this or that, that's cool. But when you start to get like three, okay, like that's that's my magic number. You know, I've got three bash scripts now. Okay, well, now I have a bash scripts folder and I call it scripts or bash or bash scripts or something where someone won't read it and be like, why is it called dumpster? You know, <laughs> just that's, that's your, that should be your test is because it's right. impossible to be like, I'm going to take this out of my brain and have a fresh look at it. Like show it to someone else and be like, you know, this folder is called gravy farm. Does that sound weird to you? Or does that sound like a place that you would find bash scripts, right? Like right. you can almost test your code uh, the way we do like alpha tests, right? Like here's a game. I want you to tell me what's stupid about my game. Like what you can't understand about it. You could do the same kind of thing with like, you know, like, what do you care? Just throw your code up on GitHub and be like, look at it. You know, should I call this folder tombstones or is there a better, like, do you have a suggestion for me? Yeah. Reactionary. This is one of the reasons that I complain about JavaScript modules so much is that like, it just, it feels like such a gaping hole in the JavaScript design, right? That there's just no way by default to segment your code, (laughs) you know? It is pretty shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you could put it in different files, but they all kind of run in the global scope. You know, like there's just, or you got to do weird things like wrap it in functions and, you know, immediately executing functions and stuff. It's just, it's confusing and it's too complicated. Like when you really just want to be like, look, I just (laughs) want, I just want a collection of array functions that I can call from anywhere. Like you never want to have to say to your programming language, look, (laughs) all right, let's talk. You just, you want it to be like, oh, no, I have a way for that. Import. Yeah. Yeah. Include. Require. It's all good. But like JavaScript, look, look JavaScript, let's let's talk. We got to talk this out. <laughs> Should I use uh, Browserify? Should I use CommonJ? Like what? <sighs> let's just talk. And that's like, you know, you get to that point after like a while, you know, it's at first it's like, hey, stick this, stick these methods onto a global variable. Right. We've <laughs> put, all put been it, there. Put it on a window. We've all had the like global your global Jeff variable. Like that's right. fine. Jeff dot entity. Jeff dot component. It's fine. Yeah. And like, no you problem. know, when we started out making JavaScript games, I think that, you know, we had some of that going on, right? Like we had like uh there was some game we had where we had a global namespace called Horde. I think that was Onslaught actually. Horde, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. And so we had like, you know, horde dot game object and horde dot whatever, you know, because the convention at the time was that you would just, you know, create like a namespace for yourself in the global scope. Right. Um, that but that's was like, your wave avoiding collisions. Yes, exactly. Basically. But like, you know, it was tough because, you know, it didn't really promote good design or abstraction, right? Right. Because, uh, I mean, I guess you could have, you know, you could have like, hey, var array is equal to whatever. And that's just, you know, you can mimic the same kind of design that you would have with, say, like, you know, common JS module structures. But right. Yeah, there's a lot of craft around it, you know, and it wasn't elegant. It wasn't easy to work with. And I, you know, I kind of feel like any 
decent programming language these days should just that should be like a core feature of the language right like how do you import code <laughs> either your own or from a third party or whatever right like yeah amazing so let's say uh hypothetically you were going to make like a from scratch thingy in javascript what would you suggest these days? Would you just stick everything onto the horde global horde object, or would you use something like Browserify? What's what's Jeff's patented recommendation for uh, JavaScript modules? Um, patented, patented. Yes, like the final, the final say. Sure. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, right <laughs> now, I think that my go-to choice is the Common JS Node JS module system. Nice. Um. Because, you know, to whatever extent, you know, it's sort of one and it's pretty good. And I mean, I know that there's stuff like, um, you know, ES, whatever, 2025 modules, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you can get access to those by using things like uh, Babel and whatnot too. But again, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to shy away from, from more complexity, you know, and I, and I realize that JavaScript is very quickly becoming sort of a compile to language or transpile to language. And I don't mind that part so much, eh. but the part that I mind, you know, I, I don't care that I'm writing, that I'm not writing JavaScript anymore, you know, that maybe I'm writing ES 2000 or whatever, or I'm writing, you know, maybe even, uh, something else, copy script or TypeScript, right? Like that's, that's okay. And actually a lot of times I find that sort of nice, but um, it really starts to bug me when it's like, okay, you want to use, you know, you want to import some code. Well, first of all, you got to download half the internet from NPM so that you can transpile, <laughs> you know, all of these fancy ES, whatever classes into, you know, JavaScript that, that, you know, is actually understood. <laughs> right. I just, it, it's, and maybe it's just me because I don't have a lot of experience with like sort of some of the newer JavaScript, you know, methodologies, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, like the first thing you do is you have Babel and all these other things installed and you have a gulp file and all this other stuff, you know, it's like the infrastructure just gets to be overwhelming at some point, right? Well, and it goes against the, the circle shooter thing I was talking about earlier. It that takes away from you need a browser and text editor. You know, it, right out of the gate, you're complicating things with like you got a dependency and it's confusing. You know. Anyways, um, yeah, modules they're great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, hope that uh, provides like a guiding light for organizing. I, I think that you know what I was trying to allude to earlier, like it's kind of more of an arch. Uh, than a science is like there is no real wrong way i i think though that you know the, the point i want to drill home is to you know be reactionary about it don't create like a million folders and then be like i will fill these folders right. <laughs> or this project will implode you know like that's not the right way to do it don't don't start creating functions before you know like what they're going to be doing and that kind of stuff something that i do like about like the npm node.js ecosystem is that you know there's a heavy slant towards you know micro libraries essentially Um, and that's something that I, you know, I think it could be taken to the extreme like anything else, but I, I feel like, you know, where I fall in that spectrum right now is more towards that end where it's like, I would rather have like, you know what? I would rather, I I would, I would be fine having a module that's like, it's called array and it has five functions that do some stuff with arrays and like, that's it. Yeah. And like, you know, well, you need a whole package. Like, yeah, I don't care. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. You know? I don't need a 3,000 line library for doing everything in the world with arrays necessarily, right? Right, exactly. And like it allows you to kind of build iteratively, right? Like, uh, you know, like the more you put in a single module, the more important and the more, you know, difficult to refactor that module becomes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Anywho. Good stuff. Um, well, that puts us well over an hour. I think it's going to be it for this week. We want to talk about some other things, uh, including, let's see, what else we got? Uh, we're going to talk about Here's the Storm. It's kind of interesting. There's some major updates. Um, I want to talk about something without, hopefully without sounding too pretentious. It's called Ikigai, which is like a, anyway, I'll, I'll talk about it later. Uh, I played a new <laughs> game called uh, SteamWorld Heist that I think has some interesting design decisions. Um, we might talk more about what you got going on at work. Going on, um, yeah. Going on. And then uh, we've also got uh, another good uh, question from Andre on the back burner. Uh, such great questions. Yeah, so that's all that and more on, on future casts. That's right. Next week on Lost Cast. Yeah. Uh, but that's it for this week. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, and we always appreciate uh, positive reviews. So if you've got five minutes, go do that for us. Uh, we're also on patreon.com slash Lost Decade Games. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet about Lost Cast every week when we post it. And that's uh, twitter.com slash Lost Decade Games. That's it. Thanks for your ears. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Ship it.
from that code structure. That's probably enough there. Uh, yeah. If we still if we still have time, I'll either go into that thing. That thing's called Ikigai. I'm gonna sound like a pretentious dick talking about that. Oh, uh, or I'll go into uh, Steam World Heist. 